0: My name is Stephanie. I'm the lead pastor here. I see a few new faces. Uh, Thank you for the courage to come and join in. I know it takes courage to come to a new community for the one of the first few times. So thank you for coming. We really do have a gift for you. And if you don't want it, you can leave it in there. You know what I mean? (laughs) You're adults. You don't have to take it. Um, So, okay. I want to hear any any ideas of what motivates people when they want to get pumped up. Anyone want to shout out? Music. Yes. Anyone? Espresso was in the first service. Uh we won't have to admit how many shots of espresso. Okay. Anyone else anything else? Pickleball. The- pickleball. Okay. Anybody do any of the like, you know, motivational mirror talk to yourself in the mirror thing? Okay, you don't have to admit it, but that's good. Okay, w- nobody said the motivational posters. You know what I'm talking about? Like nobody said the mo- put put those motivational posters up there. Look at this. You can put up anything you want. You can put any word you want. And then whatever statement about that with a mountain inspiring. Nobody said that one. Okay. My number one thing is Eye of the Tiger from Rocky. <laughs> you know? Like just blast it. Woo! Woo! We're up. The four shots of espresso. We're good. It's good. Um, I, I've uh, lived with 49 people, 49 housemates in my life. My husband was the 49th. I was his 50th, so we had to just learn a lot. God wanted us to learn a lot before we were housemates. Anyway, so um, I learned a lot about how different people are motivated by living with all of these folks. In one of my former lives, I was living in a community house a few blocks from here, and there was at any given time six to eight other women living with me who were a little bit younger than me. Most of them were in grad school, but there was one of them that was still in college when she moved in with us. She was a fifth-year senior. And I'm telling you, she struggled with motivation to finish college. I got permission to tell this story. Uh, So she was struggling, so we tried to band together as housemates to figure out how we could motivate her. So we bribed her with things like brownies and ice cream. Like, if you finish this assignment, then we'll give you brownies. But she's an adult, so she just sometimes came and took a brownie, you know what I mean? (laughs) And then other times we were trying to, we were like, we would say, we didn't wanna be shamey, you know, but we were like, fifth year senior. Totally fine. But sixth year senior, not ideal, you know what I mean? Anyway, but we could not break it. So finally, one night, out of desperation, I was trying everything at this point. And one of the things I tried, I got out a Sharpie, and I drew a a picture of my face on this little piece of paper. I've got a picture of this. And I wrote one step point, and I put a little one in the corner, um, step point. And I, I came up to her room, and I said, hey, if you finish this assignment by tomorrow, You'll get a step point. Next morning, she finished the assignment. <laughs> so I was like, you get a step point. OK. And then the next day and the next day, and turns out we had cracked the code. Somehow, this goofy situation was motivating her. So if she finished a class, it was like 50 step points. So 600 and something step points later, she walked across the, cl- the graduation stage, <laughs> we were so happy for her. Yes. It was Kara Doten. if anyone knows her. She knows that I'm telling this story. Anyway, and then um, the interest, is this, this story wasn't weird enough. She never, never did we talk about what you would redeem a step point for. (laughs) And she still has them all. Like, do you get a prize or whatever? So here's hoping that there's not something that she's going to hope that these are redeemed for later that I'm not ready to offer. So let's just consider that. Some of you know that she might have already redeemed those with me for other reasons, but Whatever. Here it is. So if anybody wants a step point, I've got some up here. I've got a Sharpie. you know. If you need to like pass a test or you've got a big thing coming up at work, just let me know. I got you. Step points. You never know. Maybe that's your eye of the tiger. It's going to be motivating. Again, it's very diverse what motivates people. But psychologists say there's kind of two big categories of motivation. There's intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Maybe you've heard of this. So I'll put these definitions up here on the screen. Intrinsic motivation, you're motivated to do the activity because it's internally rewarding. And so that might be purpose or mastery, curiosity, having pride, in identity. And then there is extrinsic motivation. You're motivated to do the activity in order to gain an external reward in return, like a step point maybe, right? And so that's maybe money or points or career, you know exams, grades, things like that. There's a lot of studies being done on human motivation. It kind of makes sense if you think about it. But While both intrinsic and extrinsic motivation are effective, one thing that psychologists pretty much agree on at this point is that intrinsic motivation is what is needed if you want to have a deep and lasting commitment to your goal or to your task. That both types of motivation can be good or or bad, if you think about it. But intrinsic motivation is the thing that's going to help you have a deep and lasting commitment to a goal or task. So as we continue our conversation, The Way of Jesus... What we're going to see today is that intrinsic motivation, specifically in the form of identity and purpose, is critical in order to carry out the mission that Jesus has for his disciples. We'll see that here in the story. Motivation that comes from identity and purpose is what made joining the mission of Jesus at that time something that they could do no matter what happened. And I want to suggest that today... That same idea of the identity and purpose that comes from Jesus is what carries us through the mission that Jesus has for us. And so we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. Today we're going to be in chapter 6 if you have a Bible or an app, and we'll have it on the screen. And as we look at our text today, here's the question that I want you to ponder. Put this question on the screen. What motivates you both extrinsically and intrinsically as you get up each morning and move through your days? Just a, a good question. Most of us have multiple things, and most of them are good. You know, we can, we can talk about that. But I want you to think about that, because I think it's a great question for all of us. What motivates you intrinsically and extrinsically to move through your days? So as we pick up chapter six, we have another Mark sandwich. Okay, if you've been with us, you'll see that one of the things that Mark likes to do is to make a sandwich. This one looks a little bit more like a burger, but we're going to go with it. And so uh, you can see here, if you can see the screen, what you can see is that there is a sandwich here in Mark 6. The sandwich, like any other sandwich, is the thing that's in the middle, right? And the purpose of a, of a sandwich uh, in, in, there's a fancy word for it, but we're just going to go with sandwich. The, the purpose of that in a text is to say that the thing in the middle is the important thing, right? Just like if it's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, the thing in the middle, it's not a bread sandwich that has peanut butter and jelly, it's a peanut butter. You get what I'm saying? So this is a purpose sandwich, an identity and purpose sandwich. But as you'll see, the bread or the bun is a rejection story and another rejection story. So that is an interesting thing, right? In between two stories about rejection, you see a story about purpose. But remember, Mark is saying this is the most important part. So I think we can all just agree right now that we don't want mark points. That guy is not very motivational with the rejection, right? Hopefully, you'll see that there is a focus and a depth of the purpose when we see the the fact that it is around surrounded by these rejection stories so the first one let's start you know you know might as well just jump into it the first rejection story okay chapter 6 verse 1 Jesus left there he's leaving from where he's been the most important thing is he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples and when the sabbath came he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed what did this man where, where did this man get these things they said What's this wisdom that's been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So this first story is a description of Jesus being rejected in his hometown. Right? Isn't it interesting how the word amazed was used there? It wasn't like, ooh, amazed, positive. Jesus is amazed. They're amazed. Not great. The first story shows us that this is how he's experiencing Jesus going back to his hometown. Now, just a few chapters earlier, we know that Jesus' family, his mom and his brothers and sisters, had been thinking, I think he's losing his mind, and so we need to get him to come home. But it wasn't until this part that he actually goes home, and so what had he said? He had said, look, no way. If you guys don't understand what I'm doing, like, that's that's on you. Like, that's a you problem. I'm doing what the Father is calling me to do, and my family is whoever is going to do this with me. That's what Jesus says a few chapters earlier. Now, finally, he's going back to his hometown, and we flash forward to this moment, and he gets a mixed reception, largely negative, right? The questions that the, isn't it interesting how the questions are actually just couching negative vibes, right? The questions of, what? oh, who is this guy, you know? They're basically saying, this is a carpenter. He has no training to be a rabbi. This is just an ordinary guy, hometown kid, like, why, we know his siblings, nothing special. They think of him as coming from this insignificant town, right? Like, why would he think so much of himself? We don't get to think so much of ourselves here in this town. And they're offended that he would think so much of himself in that way. This sounds like a recipe for lack of motivation, doesn't it? <laughs> like the worst. You're less than, ordinary, insignificant. Who do you think you are? And the reality is is that some of us have heard those very same types of remarks from the people in our lives who were supposed to have our back. And Jesus knows what that kind of rejection feels like. The people who assume the worst of you instead of trying to understand what you're trying to do or what you feel like God's calling you to do. Jesus understands that. He understands rejection from the people who are supposed to want the best for you. Those who you wish were your cheerleaders but instead you get jeers, right? Right? But the reality is is that Jesus is not motivated by the cheers or the jeers, is he? That's not where his motivation comes from. He says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. That's something he shared with prophets that had gone before him, like Moses and Elijah. And then we read that Jesus wasn't able to do any miracles there. That's kind of odd, isn't it, that he couldn't do any miracles there. Here's the important thing to understand. It wasn't that inability that he had. It wasn't a, that he had a lack of power. It wasn't that Jesus wasn't able to be able to live out. It wasn't a limitation on his power. It was a limitation on his mission. Because his mission was not to go to the people that didn't want him to be there. And actually, that's consistent in the story of God. God does not work where God's not wanted. God doesn't work where God's not wanted and invited. Jesus doesn't want to be mistaken as someone who's trying to impress people. There was these magicians in the first century who would sometimes go around doing things to get people impressed, maybe even to get money from people. And Jesus is like, I'm not here to do tricks. I'm here to bring healing and freedom, and I'm here for relationship. That was the mission. That's why he couldn't, it says, do these things. So now we get to the meat of the sandwich, okay? The purpose story. Good, okay, a little relief from the rejection story. What is this core purpose story that Mark is trying to get us to focus on? So we pick it up in verse seven. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his his instructions. Jesus doesn't give clear instructions very often, so let's pay attention. Taking nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Good news, you can wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. This story of Jesus sending out his disciples is the final stage of a three-part process that we see in Mark, okay? So we've talked about these other two. First, in chapter one, Jesus calls the disciples. He starts to call these certain people towards him to follow him. And then he commissions them. In chapter three, he's up on the mountain and he says, I'm going to my, lend my authority to you that you'll be able to do what I can do. And then here in chapter six, we see that they are sent out to do what Jesus did. We notice they're in twos, right? So they get a, a mission buddy. That's probably a good idea. Get a buddy, like a swimming buddy. You need a mission buddy. They're they're not supposed to bring things. What are these things? Well, they're things that would have given them more security if they brought them along, right? Like a bag or money or extra clothes, but they get the shoes, so that's good. So they have to depend on God and other people as they go. They have to depend on the hospitality of others. That's a hard one for a lot of us, isn't it? It's one thing to be, uh, we get to decide when we're offering hospitality or not, but depending on the hospitality of others And then to stay with those people, this idea of staying in that house, to stay with them and to deepen relationship with people and not let it be on the surface, which is sometimes easier, isn't it? You can only talk about the weather so much, right? And then you have to go deeper. They've already been lent this authority from Jesus, this power, right? That's not theirs, to be very clear. They have no power. They have no authority. But in the name of Jesus, they can do what Jesus did. And they are healing and they're teaching and they're setting people free and they're forgiving, sharing with them that they can be forgiven and free. It's amazing. And if they experience rejection like Jesus experienced in Nazareth, right? Jesus gives them this interesting thing to do. He says you can walk away and you can wipe the dust off your feet, right? Shaking the dust off your feet, what I want you to think of that is like releasing people, like letting them go. You're not in control of them, turns out, right? Right? Letting, releasing these people, it isn't your concern then, right? To the disciples. They're not in control of people's reactions, just like Jesus obviously is not in control of people's reactions, as we saw in his hometown. And so they're able to just be free from that. And Jesus gives them then, I would summarize these, these uh, instructions this way They depend on God and others, they deepen relationships, they demonstrate the authority in the name of Jesus, and then that last part don't get discouraged. If these aren't the people I'm calling you to, dust off the feet and keep going, right? I think that if you look at this center story of purpose, it kind of ends with a successful mission, right? They're able to heal people and, and do all the things that Jesus did. So here's where I think we see this identity and purpose. I'll put this on the screen. The disciples are called by Jesus to follow him, commissioned and empowered to live like Jesus, and they're sent to love others with authority in the name of Jesus, You see those three parts there? They're called by Jesus to follow him and when they say yes to that, then they are commissioned and empowered to live like Jesus and then they're sent to specific places to love others with the authority in the name of Jesus. But pretty active ways of loving people, right? But then we have the other half of the rejection part of the story. So the bread, right? This isn't a a purpose sandwich, but unfortunately we have a rejection story as the second piece of bread or bun or whatever. Just go with the idea. right, so Let's pick it up in verse 14. King Herod, so a regional leader, political leader, King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead think we all agree this is a worse rejection story. Yes? This is terrible. This is terrible. Jesus' cousin John has been killed. So we, we knew from chapter one that John had but put in prison, but somehow Mark had missed the detail that he had also been killed. And so here we see in the story that, that Herod had taken him into prison. This has all happened. And then all of a sudden, Herod is feeling threatened because Jesus comes on the scene. He's doing some similar things to what John was doing. And now his followers are starting to do those things. And they seem to be able to have this power. And so he's really confused. And so and so are other people. So he's going, is it John came back from the dead? He's way off. But the reality is, is that this rejection is way worse, right? Because now we've gotten this leader who has lost his life. And that translates, as you can imagine, into a lot of fear, for the people who are considering if they're going to be Jesus followers, obviously. But then we see just a, l- a couple of sentences, just, just sentences just tucked in here at the very end of the rejection story. There's kind of like a flashback of what happened with John, John the Baptist and the beheading. It's, it's terrible, so we're going to skip it. So let's go to verse 30. The apostles gathered around, and Jesus reported to him all they had done and taught. Oh, gather around Jesus and reported to him all the things they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. And so he said to them, come by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they get to go and do what Jesus has done and then when they come back, they get to tell the story and they get to go and and rest with Jesus. And we'll pick up where that story leaves off next week. But you can imagine just coming back, I can imagine the 12 just so excited to come tell Jesus all the things that had happened. Like, Jesus, when we said, in the name of Jesus, things happened, and we saw people who were healed and set free, and people who want to follow you, I'm sure that was so exciting to share those stories. I bet that that external experience, right, the extrinsic motivation of Jesus saying, good job, awesome, this is so great, was great. But the sandwich here reminds us that rejection and hardship comes with accepting this identity and purpose, doesn't it? This text reminds us that the external reward of these moments of celebration wouldn't be enough when it got tough for them. It has to be the intrinsic motivation from accepting identity and purpose that Jesus has given his disciples for them to be able to be on mission. They have to accept that identity and that purpose. And I'll just say, in my experience, this has absolutely been the case. It's amazing to experience what God's doing, isn't it? I'm sure many of you have had experiences where you've been like, Only God. Only God. We've had that as a community. It's such an exciting thing to be a part of something when you know that God is moving, but it takes perseverance to live the way of Jesus on an everyday basis, doesn't it? It takes perseverance to join in the Spirit's work in the world, and at least for me, to make it through the tough times, it has to be deeper than external validation and external rewards, or it's not going to happen. It has to be the intrinsic motivation that comes from identity and purpose that Jesus has given us as disciples on mission. Just a couple months ago, I ran into a friend and this conversation I had with him reminded me of this conversation. So I was talking to him and I hadn't seen him for maybe five or six years. I know that years ago he'd walked away from any sort of faith, but this guy is like really successful entrepreneur, like, he started a bunch of really successful companies. Uh, he's got a beautiful family. And I see him, and I'm like, tell me, what's, what's the updates, man? So he starts telling me about how successful these companies have been. And he's being kind of humble about it, but I'm asking. I'm like, oh, tell me about that. Oh, that's really cool. You, you won some accolades and awards and things. And then he talks about how his family got to move to a bigger house because the kids are growing and there's more space. And he was really grateful that he could do that. And I'm thinking, like, this is awesome. Like, what a great report for him. And then I was totally caught off guard when he just like, looks at me and he just says, so is this it? <laughs> and I'm like, huh? <laughs> like, that's not what I was expecting. And he's like, so is this, is this it? Like, I, I, he got, I mean, he was very honest. He said, I, of course, I have everything I've ever really wanted in life. Like, I could make more money. I could start more businesses. He's like, a lot of my companies do a lot of really good things in the world. And he's right. Uh, and he's like, and I love my kids and it's, it's good, but I just, he's like, if I'm honest, I'm just starting to lose motivation for it all, and I I just affirmed him. I'm like, man, the things that you have done really do matter. God has worked through you, and you know what? When you invest in your kids, that has generational impact. That is an amazing thing, man, but then I just said to him, you know me. (laughs) You know that my answer to your question is Jesus, like, you know that I'm going to say that who Jesus called you to be and the purpose that he has for your life is what makes it all worth it. And I looked at him, and fortunately for him, I noticed he wasn't looking for the entire sermon after that. So, you know, we, we had a conversation and we moved on. But I'm just really thankful for that conversation with him because I'm going to be honest with you, as I listened to him, I was thinking, dude, this guy is so successful. I bet he wakes up every day just feeling so much pride and purpose you know, I bet he's just so proud of, of his kids and his wife, and I just that was the way I was thinking. I was thinking, wow, he he must have made it now, you know, and I'm so grateful for his courage to be honest with me because I think he was having like a reality check, and that gave me an opportunity to have a reality check, because doesn't it always seem like the others are having more motivation and purpose than we are? It's always easier to see that for somebody else, and it was just so good for me to hear that from him. And so here's the thing. I, I hope that all of us can find purpose in the the work that we do, paid or unpaid. I believe God wants that for us. I hope we find purpose and identity in being good kids or good parents or siblings or caring for other people in our lives or being students. These are all great things. I hope that we do find purpose in that. I hope we find purpose in in growing personally, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? And self-improvement, but. This guy hit a wall that I know I've hit, and when you hit that wall, you stop and you think, is this it? There's got to be more than this. When the extrinsic rewards run their course, when the purpose feels kind of vague and out of reach, it's then that we see more clearly the depth that's found in the identity and purpose that we have in the way of Jesus. It's in those moments. Jesus is the more that we're looking for. Jesus is the more that we're looking for. So it's good to find purpose in our relationships, in our jobs, in our education, in in growth, in our our passions. This is good. But in addition to all that, as disciples of Jesus, we have to have a deeper identity and purpose that can propel us with the type of motivation to be able to overcome the obstacles that we're all gonna face in life. We need it. Our identity and purpose is the same as what we saw for these disciples. We are called by Jesus to follow him. We are commissioned and empowered to live like Jesus and we are sent to love others with authority in the name of Jesus. New new people, same purpose. Right? This is our opportunity. And I'm telling you that this is important because when we go into our kind of like everyday spaces, We can choose to almost like you know, put this on, or or put this on like lenses in which we see the world. We can see where we live, and where we work, and where we learn, and where we play, all these places. We can see them differently because we see them through the lens of being people who are called, commissioned, and sent into those spaces. And it can change the whole dynamic. It can deepen the purpose that we have in our vocation. It can deepen the purpose that we have in the roles we play in our family and in the world. It can even deepen the purpose for what we do for fun, like pickleball, right? Like God has purpose for these things. And when we see that, as we step into those things in our life, I believe that we are able to have the motivation we need. In our relationships, we realize those we spend our time around, those are the people that we're called to love in the name of Jesus. In our vocations, we realize when we are doing work, we are imaging God. God created us to be productive. God created us to co-work with God. This is who we're made to be. All of the work that we do can glorify God, no matter what profession. In every location we find ourselves, when we see ourselves sent to that space and we enter as sent people, it changes everything in how we experience it. And maybe most critically then, though, why we need this identity and purpose is because then we can overcome hard things like rejection, which we see as a reality, right? The rejection we might experience when we get tough news at work, or when we get unfair feedback, or when we find ourselves out of a job unexpectedly, or expectedly, when we end up you know, realizing, I think I'm just mailing it in for a paycheck right now because this is so mundane. This identity and purpose can change how we experience that. When we you know, feel you know, we can be kind of built up in the value that we place ourselves in, in ourself, even if we don't get a promotion or we don't get that grade that we deserve when we thought that we should or when we don't get into that program that we really hoped for. Knowing that we are sent into those spaces matters. Knowing that you're sent into your parenting or into to the care that you have for your aging parents, that is your purpose. That is your identity. And when you step into that as people who are on mission to those places, you realize it's not just, I hope I can get this parenting thing right and not mess it up. Or like, I'm just doing my duty and caring for those who raised me. Like, it's not duty. Like, it is a calling. And you have deep purpose in being the hands and feet of Jesus to the people closest to you in your life. The people in your family, your friends, your roommates, your spouse. Our identity and purpose is as those who are called by Jesus to follow him. Commissioned and empowered to live like him. And sent to love others with authority in the name of Jesus. So we see that kind of three part process in Mark, called, commissioned, and sent. So let's just ask those questions of ourselves. If we're called, have you said yes to being a disciple of Jesus? And I'm using the word disciple intentionally. We, we define that here at Mill City kind of with these three parts. To love God, to live like Jesus, and to be led by the Spirit. A disciple is to love God, to live like Jesus, and to be led by the Spirit. And the truth is for all of us, in my life I'll at least say this, I think we have to recommit to that regularly. <laughs> like seasonally, weekly maybe. Because we orient our lives around a lot of things. And oftentimes it's, it's ourselves. <laughs> so what does it look like to say yes to being a disciple today and tomorrow? Jesus, I want to, to love you. I want to be led by you and live like you. And I want to be led by your spirit. So I think that's just kind of this initial question. Are we willing to say yes to this regularly? Uh, not to saying yes to being a Christian or to going to church. But being a disciple of the way of Jesus. So then the second thing, we're commissioned. We too are commissioned. Remember, Jesus brings the disciples up to this mountain and he tells them that he's going to give them, lend them his authority, and they're going to be able to do what he has done. And I feel like we can get a little bit into our heads around this question, right? So the question is, have you received empowerment from the Holy Spirit and authority in the name of Jesus? Don't overthink it. We're talking about how we can step into the spaces that God calls us, and in the name of Jesus... Sometimes prayers just in our hearts can change the reality because we believe there's power in the name of Jesus. Very simply, like we pray in the name of Jesus over our kids, our homes, our cars. Even the, the, you look at that syllabus, you're like, Jesus, I pray the name of Jesus over this, right? Like whatever it is, you get to, you, there's authority in the name of Jesus and that's, that's where we have any power whatsoever. And so that can happen in, in your workplace. You can pray in the name of Jesus over your workplace or your Zoom room, whatever it is. I believe the reign of Jesus changes the reality. That doesn't mean you have control over what happens, let's be clear, but the authority of Jesus shifts the atmosphere. So, secondly, we're commissioned. That's a good question. Have you received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and authority in the name of Jesus? And then finally, in chapter six, the disciples are sent out. They physically leave Jesus. Can you imagine? I mean, they've been with Jesus. They've been clinging to every word, every move that he makes, and now they're physically supposed to leave. they got a buddy, but it's not Jesus, right? And now they're going to go out and they're going to do these things. And so that's the final step, right? To be sent. We are sent. Where is Jesus sending you in this season? That's my question for you. I'm going to go out on a limb and say for at least 99% of the people here, where God is sending you is to the places that you're already going. (laughs) Okay, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm a, that's not a special thing for me to notice. Maybe there's a few people here who maybe in this moment are gonna feel a calling to another geography or maybe you're feeling to a, a unique mission, missional effort or something like that. But we're all called to the places that we're already going. Here's the three spheres of life that we're called to. Relational, vocational, and geographical. We're all called to the relationship, so who you spend time with. God's calling you sending you to those people. Vocation, what you do with your time during your days that is productive. Sometimes you get paid, sometimes you don't. But everybody has a vocation. For some of you, that's prayer. And that's a vocation. So God's calling you to that. That's the way you've been sent by Jesus into that occupation or that role. And then finally, geographical, where you live or spend your time. This could be a coffee shop. This could be your workplace. And as we enter these spheres, we get to follow these instructions that Jesus gave us. Jesus gave these, the 12 in Mark 6, now not necessarily literally like don't take a purse or whatever, but you know, the heart behind it. Like the heart behind what Jesus was saying. He was saying depend on God and others, right? All these things. So okay, think about a specific relational, vocational, or geographic right now. Think about, maybe you're drawn to thinking about your extended family. Maybe vocation, you're thinking about your workplace or the type of work you do. Or maybe geographical, think about your neighborhood. Pick a place right now in your mind. You got one in your head? Now, now think about these, these kind of instructions that Jesus gives. What would it look for it like for you to depend on God and others in that space? What would it look like for you to deepen relationships? Jesus uses this term, stay in that house. Who is God calling you towards and then stick with them? Interestingly, how unique that is in this world today to just stick with people, huh? Who is God calling you to do that with? How might you demonstrate the authority in the name of Jesus in that relational, vocational, or geographical space? Here's a hint. Probably not getting in an argument about religion. Right? It's probably prayer. (laughs) That's probably what it is. It's prayer in the name of Jesus that the kingdom would come and God's will would be done in the places that you find yourself, in the relationships that you have. And then what would it look like for you not to get discouraged? Some of you already are discouraged. Some of you need to do the wiping off the feet thing, right? Where you just need to say, I'm not in control of these people's reactions. Turns out, I'm not in control of this person's outcomes of their life choices, right? I'm not able to control everything in my own life. Why would I expect that? Can I release people and and say, Jesus, lead me and guide me in how to be in these relationships because I am not in control and not get discouraged and ask the Lord, who is it then? If it's if it's to walk away from a certain situation or typically the posture that we're taking in that situation, so we get to give it to Jesus. I want to close today with something just a little bit different. If you look in the in the pews, you should have a little card. It's not a step point, unfortunately. I have some if you want them later. But um, and then we've got a couple people, Cheryl and Carrie. Could you just see if anybody raise your hand if you don't get one? And there should be some pens or pencils in the in the pews. And I. I want you to to fill this out right now, if you can. It's a a form of a commissioning. So if you put your name in the first blank, and then in the second one, it's your relational space. So maybe people in your home, people in your family, friend group, you can put all three if you want. But maybe one of them was on your heart as we were talking. Pass them down, make sure everybody has one. Uh, And then vocation as your work as a prayer warrior, you know, or your work as a nurse or an electrician or as a social worker, whatever it is, with authority in the name of Jesus in, and then maybe you want to put where you live, Shoreview, Northeast, or maybe you want to put the workplace, or maybe there's a coffee shop that you've been to lately and you just feel like, I could make a difference there. I'm using the Wi-Fi, so maybe, you know. Just fill that out. And this is just for you. You're not going to turn it in. It's just for you. And then if you're you're able, would you stand? I just want to read this commissioning over you as we close before we go into our time of worship. So if you're able, stand and let me just read this over you. All right, obviously you need to fill in your own name in your heart. I'm not going to remember everyone's name today. You are called by Jesus and you are commissioned to live as a disciple sent to love the people in your family, your home, your friend group. You're empowered to image God and to love others in your work as whatever vocation you find yourself in. With authority in the name of Jesus, in the locations that you find yourself in on a daily and weekly basis. Amen.